Check Me Out is made possible in part by a grant from Humanities Texas, the state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. There might have been some Gilmore Girl fan fiction oh. in there for me, but that's television, and we're talking about books. So. <laughs> you will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the chimes ring like this. Welcome to Check Me Out, a podcast for book lovers. I'm Amy Hart, and this episode, we are talking about queer literature. With me, I have uh, a couple of guests, one of them being Hillary Holsey. Hello. And uh, Lytton St. Stephen. If you would like to go ahead and introduce yourself, we would love to know a little bit more about you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you kind of took the the big part away, which is who I am. So Lytton, I'm Lytton. Um, I, I love books. I've always loved books since I was really little. That's probably the, it's like, I would think the main reason I'm here is just, I'm going to talk about my love of books. Yeah. Other than that, you know, local queer. Um, and, and here we are. Same. Very good. Um, so I want to jump right in by asking both of you, what defines queer literature? Hillary, we'll start with you. Oh, boy. What a <laughs> gigantic question right from the beginning. Um, I think it depends on uh, what you're seeking out and maybe how you perceive the queer experience. I think that books can be coded as queer, like something that... Um, so, like, someone straight... Like you, Amy, hey. <laughs> you might read something like Frankenstein and think, oh, that's a book about a creator and it's monster. Um, but someone who is queer might read that as a novel that is coded as queer or that something that relates to the queer experience. You could also define it by uh, like if a book has inherently or openly queer characters. Uh, so something like. The Price of Salt by Patricia Highsmith that explores a relationship between two women in the late 1950s. Um, and I think, you know, there are other sects of queer literature like poetry and um, more theoretical works. Uh, so I, I, I don't think I have like a real definition of what queer literature is. I think it just it can be a lot of things. Lytton? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i think you, so you bring up like a real i think in it, one of the key points that i was just thinking about prior to this which is that there's literature that's very um obviously queer as you were saying like it has a very distinctly queer character so we understand it you know through that lens as queer literature and then there's also literature that has what we might call sometimes maybe closeted characters, especially if it's older literature where that maybe we could, that couldn't be something that we could talk about in an open, um, obvious way. Or then there's still literature that's sort of like, I guess I would call it queer adjacent, where it's sort of mm -hmm. like there are queer characters, but it's not something that I would call um, – you know, like iconic queer literature or even like clearly in the queer canon. Um, so, you know, and there are a fair amount of books like that that are that are just kind of um, bordering on queer, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's I think both of you did a great job um, explaining that because, yes, as the straight cisgender woman in the podcast, um, I, I do want to ask, like, 
And this is something that my husband and I were just talking about because he was curious, can a straight cisgender person write queer lit and it still be called that? Well, there's like, that's like, there's a, there's two questions there, I think, actually. One is that, can that happen? And then should that happen? Right. Right. (laughs) Yes. So that's what I want to know. Like, can we and should we? (laughs) Go ahead, Lytton. You can go first. Since I took the last one first. (laughs) Since I've uh, made it awkward. Um, I would say, in my opinion, um, certainly that can happen and has happened, I think. But I also... I think you you really come into the question of authenticity. If you're asking someone who is not someone who is queer to write queer lit, and this this is something that we see played out, I think, in film a lot. Um, and there's, like, of course, that was like a recent kind of question, I think, recently with Elliot Page coming out. Um, mm-hmm. But I think if we're you know back to literature, I would say it you certainly it can it can be written. I just don't think it can be written well. I don't think it can be written authentically. Unless you're looking at it maybe from like the perspective of, um, I mean, if you're writing like as a queer ally, then certainly that's that's an authentic space. But I think you, any, with anything, as with anything that if you're looking at the quality, quality and what what are the pillars of quality, you know, one of them is is what is true, what is authentic, and. Um, I think it would, I, I would, I, I would love to see maybe an example. I, I, I'm hard pressed to think of one off the top of my head at this moment, um, of a non-queer person writing queer lit well. Mm. I, mean, I can't think of one currently, yeah. but, um, actually I think I've talked to you about this before Lytton, but, um, when I was in school, I read this really great essay, um, called the queer art of failure by Jack Halberstam. And essentially what Halberstam explores in his essay is that in queerness, there is like this universal experience of being a quote unquote failure because you are outside of heteronormativity. And so Mm -hmm. therefore that failure allows you to see the world in a more well, not more, in a different way creatively. And you experience the world in a way that is different. And I don't know why the, the probably because I love tragedy and melancholy and all of that. Um, but that particular essay stuck with me because um, I think when you read queer literature uh, or even watch queer films, there is that certain tinge to it um, when a queer creator is the director or is the author, you you definitely can tell that they see the world in a different way. So yeah. I, I think that plays into being able to effectively write the queer experience or um, effectively write about it. Um, and I, I do agree with Lytton that if you are coming at it from like, let's say you wrote a book about your best friend who came out of the closet and you witnessed that from like this ancillary uh place in their life um, and you're writing it as an observation, absolutely, you could write that. But I don't know. I, I don't think I think it it, it is almost um, like a lot of the conversations. I feel like I'm rambling, Amy. I'm so sorry. It's a lot of the conversations we have had recently about race um, as well. Like similarly, you know, coming from someone who's on the fringes of society, can someone who um, isn't a person of color or black really effectively write about the black experience? Um, I think I would group it in the same sort of situation there. Do you Mm -hmm. get what I'm saying? Am I? 
I, I, I totally get it. I think that makes total sense. You know, I think someone like myself who supports the the gay community, um, you know, I wouldn't want to touch it I, as far as like writing it um, because I don't have that experience mm-hmm. and I don't think it would be authentic. Now, not to say I might not have characters, but I would absolutely do a lot of research beforehand, you know, because I, I would not ever want to offend anyone or um, seem insincere towards anybody yeah. in the community. So you mentioned, Linton, iconic queer literature. So I want to go ahead and jump into that. What is iconic queer literature to you? <laughs> um... Well, I'm gonna, if you're if you, just the way that you're phrasing that to me, I'm going to go ahead and like talk about some that were, um, you know, important in my queer comeuppance. Um, and then I think there are also like objective queer, you know, there's objective queer canon. So like, I think we can kind of probably talk and some of those certainly um, those 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 kind of cross. There's some crossover there. I know for myself, um, one of Probably one of the first that I came across and was really um, important in my, you know, formative um, in my formative years overall was uh, "Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit" by Jeanette Winterson. Um, yes. Yeah, and I think that I mean that really resonated for me one because it's it's queer, and then two because of the uh, religious aspect of that of that book and that intersection of queer of queerness mm-hmm. and. Uh, religiosity, um, which was very true to my experience, um, just my lived experience. Um, and so I found that to be, that was definitely one that was really important. And then tipping the velvet was, was another that I remember very distinctly, like in my younger years reading and I mean, actually I hid it under my mattress. I, I got it from the library, which I would, I read all my books and then I hid it under my mattress and I would read it, you know, in the, in the dark of night, um, just by like the, <laughs> the flashlight. Um, but that was also really, it was really important and it was really, uh, I, I was kind of amazed by it because I, I think I, up until then I did not even know that queer literature existed and it felt like I had just discovered this entire, th- you know, something all on my own, but it was really amazing that it was there. I was just quite amazed at the whole concept really, but those were two very distinct, um, pieces for me uh, that I would consider to be probably, you know, within, well within the, the established queer canon. Speaking of like queer adjacent, uh, one that was really important for me is The Hours by Michael Cunningham. Um, I thought that's one that I've actually, I, don't, I did not read that as queer to begin with. Like when I first read it, I think that was not the first thing that was uh, forefront in my mind as I was reading it. But upon subsequent readings, and I've read this book many times, it's become very, uh, I think I see more and more like queer aspects to it. And of course there's like a very obvious one with like one of the characters is, is queer and he's, he's, um, you know, dying of AIDS, I believe is, I think that's actually clearly stated. And so it is, I think that that's always there, but I think that there's so many other aspects. Of course, the connection to Virginia Woolf and to like the Bloomsbury group, um, Mm -hmm. is certainly one. Um, but there's also, this aspect of longing that comes in that's really well played out in this in this in the novel that I think is very indicative of the queer experience 
Um, and that's not something I think you see in it's, it's a truism throughout all of queer lit. I think it's, you know, even, even queer literature that ends, you know, without the, the tragedy, for instance, like, um, Hillary, you mentioned the price of salt, which is one mm-hmm. of the very, maybe the very first, it did not end in queer tragedy, right? The ending is not, it's not when we're like someone dies of suicide or, you know, something like that. Like that's right. it's very true. There's hopeful. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Tones. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say those are, those are some for me. There's a couple of them. Hillary, what about you? Uh, certainly all the ones that Lytton mentioned. Um, I, I think it's funny. This is probably the first podcast that we've done. I mean, I've I've related, I mean, I, I read a lot. So I've been able to identify with a lot of our guests and, and a lot of the titles that they've read. But um, I think because when you discover this about yourself um, or you are in that journey of, you know, figuring out that you're a lesbian or queer or non-binary or, you know, wherever you fit, um, into this umbrella, you are just like scrounging for anything. Like you're, you're trying to get access to, you know, anything that is available. And 10 years ago, when I was first discovering this about myself, I don't think there was as much as there is now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Linton, but, um, it's just funny to me that this is the first time where someone has listed, all of these books and I've been like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, these are, these are great books. Um, the price of salt, uh, great book. Um, one of my favorites, you, people probably would know it better today as the film Carol, mm-hmm. um, directed by Todd Haynes in 2015. Uh, just a great lesbian narrative that actually really defied a lot of things for the time that it was written. Um, people were not happy about the hopeful ending, uh, I actually found out the other day, uh, Linton, I don't know if I told you this. I think I told Amy that uh, there were talks of making that a movie back then, but they didn't like the lesbian part of it and they didn't like the ending. So they were just going to call it Carl and have the same uh, no. kind of. It's like, I hate that. A dude in there or something? <laughs> a dude of in course. the place of Carol. That's man. Such a I, white yes. man again. Yeah. Wow. Um, anyhow, I don't know if that's totally true, but I read it on a site somewhere. So here we are. Um, <laughs> uh, I also a book that really <laughs> I'm sorry. I always feel like I'm super sad and depressing on these podcasts, but um, I read a book and it's the only book that I've never returned to a library. So um, I read a book in university i won't say which one so they don't come after me um it's called the well of loneliness oh by radcliffe hall yeah have you read that Lynn? yes yeah okay so i read that um re- knowing that it was a very early 1920s book um about uh this character named steven that was very obviously uh queer or um, I would say a lesbian uh, by terms of what they would identify it back then. I think you could look at it probably now and see that maybe um, her experience was more of a trans person's experience. But back then it was that um, Stephen wanted to be with uh, this woman that he fell in love with um, during World War One, or that she fell in love with during World War One, And... Uh, I remember opening the book and uh, it's had a dedication in it that said dedicated to our three selves. And I, my 19 year old self was like, whoa, like that is everything to me. Like 
I know the person that I am, am or am supposed to be, and I know the person that I pre- present to society, but there's also this person that I don't know as well and that I'm trying to figure out. And I don't necessarily know that that's what Radcliffe Hall meant, but it just... I don't know. I felt like I'm really reading some queer literature here and I really get it or whatever. So uh, The Well of Loneliness, can't recommend it enough. Mm-hmm. I think it's really um, such an advanced uh, book for its time. Um, and uh, to add to your Sarah Waters uh, list of books, uh, Tipping the Velvet is a favorite of mine as well. And The Paying Guests. I love The Paying Guests. Um, Sarah Waters often writes like historical dramas about ladies in love and (laughs) they're pretty good books. It's important. I felt like it was important for me to read stuff like that because I had read, you know, like in middle school, I read Twilight and Hmm. all my friends were like, (laughs) which we interviewed the other day. Um, I was like, "Ah," you know, like (laughs) Edward and Jacob. And I'm like, "Eh," like, (laughs) I don't know. So to read something like paying guests and tipping the velvet really felt awesome to me. Like I I could see myself in characters and they could fall in love, though they often are tragic. Yeah. To Lynn's point. So speaking of Twilight, um, (laughs) just jumping right on them in this fan fiction, I feel like has played a large role in queer literature because I feel like that is what fans typically do. They will take Edward and Jacob and make them the couple and, Mm-hmm. Bella gets the boot. Did either of you grow up reading any fan fiction? And if so, what was it? <laughs> uh. <laughs> I feel like you have something to say on this, Hillary. I don't know if I want to share that part of myself. <laughs> so you did. So you did. And you're going to hold out. Are you kidding? Um. <laughs> there might have been some Gilmore Girl fan fiction oh. in there for me, but that's television, and we're talking about books. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I did. I <laughs> do you think that it is a an important you know part of queer literature, fan fiction? Um, Lynn, I'll, I'll go first, and then you can weigh in if that's okay with Absolutely. you. Absolutely, please, please do. Okay, I think the importance of fan fiction. It's kind of the same thing I was talking about earlier with Frankenstein. Um, I think when you are queer and the world around you is heteronormative and, um, you know, you're raised in this uh, society that's also quite religious, um, which I think we were in the Texas panhandle. um, At least I know you and I were, Amy. Mm -hmm. um, That you, you recognize that there is one way to be. And so when you're reading... I think it's only natural for someone who is queer to want to fantasize about something that more or less aligns with what they would desire for a particular narrative. So I think that fan fiction is important for that reason, that you can take um, maybe something that is hetero in um, the type of relationships or the type of um, interactions that exist or even friendships that exist in a book and to turn it into something that more aligns with, uh, you know, what, how you see the world. We'll say that. Okay. Lytton. So I have to, I have to preface this by saying that I, um, I was also, I was raised in a very religious, um, upbringing. 
some might call it a cult and I definitely do call it a cult. Um, <laughs> so I, but that being said, like I didn't really, I didn't even, fan fiction is something I, I'm, I, I didn't really have growing up because I was very limited in what I was actually given access to. So, you know, I certainly, that being said, like I certainly had my own, like, I don't think I, I certainly didn't, I didn't write any, but I had my own, you know, daydreams about things like, oh, this would be great. Like Sherlock Holmes would be amazing. I had like my own probably internal like narrative of <laughs> what people would call fan fiction now. But um, yeah, so given that, like, it's hard for me to speak from that perspective, but just I feel like we see a lot more fan fiction, you know, in the in the age of the Internet than I, we ever did before. You know, the Internet was a thing which was like when I was a, a kid that would have I wouldn't have even had access to anything like that anyway. Um so I, I think it has become really important and it's really been cool to see how people have kind of co-opted sometimes even more cis uh, heteronormative stories and created like the story they wanted to see. Like Hillary was saying, you know, kind of they, they've, they've kind of crafted their own mirrors, um, which is really amazing and, and, and so creative. Like what a I, I'm, I'm just I sound like an old person, but it's I'm so amazed by the younger generations like they are really, you know, subverting kind of these cis heteronormative um, societal structures and and norms and, and, and things that we've been given and they're flipping them on their head. And it's just been it's really amazing and to see. That was kind of my next question was to talk about YA, because um, a lot in fact, most of the YA books that I have read in the past two to three years have had some sort of queer characters or both main characters were queer and they were interested in each other. I have seen a lot of that. And I think some of it started because of fan fiction. Mm-hmm. So I can't. I think it's it's really cool. Um, <laughs> you, you can't speak to that? Oh, my gosh. No, I haven't really. I'm I don't know. I'm such a bad person person in terms of reading a YA queer lit. I, I, I know it's out there, but also I don't know. I don't know. What it it's, is. it's really, Litton, do you read it? Um, I've actually kind of recently started reading it because there's so, there's so many really good, uh, there are really good books out there. Young adult um, fiction is, I think, I, I agree with you, Amy. I think it's kind of like the next frontier. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's the, it's, there's a lot of really, and it's, I, well, the thing I've seen a lot in some of the queer, the, the young adult books that I've read is, is there's a lot more like not even just queer um, narratives, but um, I would say like trans narratives and um, gender queer narratives where there's a lot more fluidity in uh, gender presentations and um, and just the way that that they're, that they're kind of playing with fluidity, I think. And mm-hmm. that's been that's really impressive and it's really cool to see because uh, I do think that's kind of different than not entirely. It's, 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 it's cause I mean, in queer canon, I think there is a lot of um, like, I won't say this because I think it, it's probably not um, kosher for like a podcast, but there's like, you know, gender um, play is maybe a better way to say that. And so you certainly <laughs> see that like in, you know, in tipping the velvet, for instance, is one case where you do see like a lot of that. Um, it's kind of like drag almost, um, in a way. But anyway, I, I think that there is kind of more of that in young adult fiction than I've seen in, or at least it's more openly talked about than we've, and I've seen, you know, in more established forms of queer lit. Well, and I do wonder if it is a generational thing, because as I said before, all of the things I sought out a decade ago, I think it was just a lot of people dealing with their own trauma of 
yeah, you know, being queer and different, um, really constraint, uh, different types of constraints, uh, whether it be religious or cultural or, you know, whatever they're dealing with. Um, I don't, do you think that Lyndon, do you think that that's, uh, we we're kind of seeing like, um, maybe progress in terms of, you know, uh, hopefully acceptance in our society of, of being able to imagine queer characters together or queer friendships or whatever at the fore of um, novels rather than having to grapple with it and having these really heartbreaking uh, coming out <laughs> stories. Y- yes. Overall, I would say yes. I think so too. Um, I, I, what I really think is that there seems to be there's language you know there's language for it now and I think that's the main thing is that Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times I know for myself like I came out very late and and a large large part of that is that I had no I hadn't I mean I had never seen any representation in my own life and really again because my you know my access was so limited it was really hard for me to even find that in um in books or in literature or in movies or anything like that but I think that we, we've created, there's a lot more language for, for young people to see uh, representations of themselves or at least something that kind of feels similar. So I think I think that's the main thing is that that I think is making it a lot easier for people is that they're not having these long lives, like whole lived lives of trying to be someone that they're not and not understanding why they didn't fit. You know, why, why did they always feel so out of place? I feel like they're understanding that so much sooner. And that just makes me... I mean, want to cry happy tears because that's such a huge thing. Yeah. Well, and like you say, you, did you read The Well of Loneliness? Yes. Do you feel that that, I, I I don't hope I didn't speak out of place by saying that, but I feel like because there wasn't that kind of language back when it was written, I, I read that as more of a trans narrative and from a 2020 perspective. What do you, what did you, what was your take on that book? Yeah, I absolutely 100% agree with you. Um, I really, I read that. And I read that um, later in, you know, um, so I, I think I had, I still had a, like a better sense of queerness and in, in, in myself, but I still didn't, I, at the time I didn't understand that I was uh, non-binary and trans. And now knowing that it's really, it's been really interesting to look back at some of these books and this is one of them, Well of Loneliness, um, to look back and say, I really see that as a trans narrative. And I really see that, um, you know, I, I think that's, and I can look back and say like, I think that's why it resonated so strongly mm. at the time because like there was something I saw in it that was reflective of myself but I didn't know how like I didn't have words for that I didn't have language for that and of course this didn't help maybe give me language but it helped give me a sense that I wasn't you know I wasn't the only person um which was even if it right. was someone that far away. yeah exactly it was like nice to feel yeah. um but yeah I absolutely agree with you I do read that now as as a trans narrative mention like kind of having those hidden meanings or being I guess queer adjacent but maybe the that wasn't the author's intent but are there other things you know you mentioned Frankenstein but are there other novels that you felt that that it resonated with you and you weren't really sure why I have uh, something I actually was thinking about so if, if you don't mind Hillary I'll take I'll jump in on this oh one go first. ahead okay so I, one that stands out to me um, is the picture of Dorian Gray. 
um, by Oscar Wilde, of course, who is yes. terrifically and wonderfully um, queer. And so, but The Picture Drying Gray was one that I remember when I read that as a pretty young kid, um, like that's one thing I had a lot of access to is very like classic literature. And so when I read that, I remember that was like, I, I got that feeling, which I had no idea how to you know, describe what that feeling was, but it was like this, this felt resonant and I couldn't ever picture why, but I, you know, of course you look, if you look back at that, at the book, you could, there's all these kind of like homoerotic subtext, right. Of like, um, between Dorian and like, there's other young men that he like interacted with. And there was like this, you know, wretched boy who committed suicide and like, um, like there's all these kinds of little, little subtexts along, uh, along those lines. And I, it was interesting when I, you know, later in life, like looking back again, thinking like, oh, this, this actually does feel terrifically, um, terrifically queer. You know, there's a lot in there that feels, and also again, that same thing for me as like, has a very non-binary kind of like trans text to it. And I think and for me, that might be partly because like, you know, seeing myself as like, I would say like a trans boy, then that really, that really resonated with um, Dorian Gray. So that's one that really stood out to me um, that I would say is not overtly queer, but definitely felt very queer adjacent, you know, mm -hmm. had a lot of language that felt very queer without saying it was queer. I was definitely that kid in high school that was like, you know, raising her hand and saying, does anybody think they're gay? Like, I, <laughs> I, I said that two times for sure. Really? Yes. Even uh, though you didn't know you were at the time or I, exactly. you were out? Well, no, I, I was very, you, yeah. I had no idea <laughs> at this time. Um, the first time was when I read a separate piece. I don't know how anyone could read that book and not be like, what? Like, I, I felt like we had like a 30 minute conversation in class. And everybody's like, yeah, this theme motif. And I'm like, literally no one's like, these guys are into each other. I don't understand it at all. So I asked that in class. I got in trouble. But um, wow, I did really? have people agree with me. We're just going to put that out there. And then the second time, I think I said it in a group setting so that the teacher didn't hear me. Um, it was when we read <laughs> Billy Budd. Have y'all heard of wow. Billy Budd or... Mm -hmm. Read it? Yeah, you know, you know. The only reason why I know about that, I've never read it. Uh, there's a Morrissey song called Billy Bud. Oh, okay. Um, so there you go. Yeah. So that's a Melville book. Um, I just kept being like, "Why are we not talking about how gay the sailor is?" Like, I don't understand why this isn't our subject of conversation here. But like, I, I, I it's funny for me to look back on now. Because while it is talking about um, men and, you know, as a lesbian, I, I truly can't identify with that kind of relationship between people. Um, but I, I it, it's funny to me that the entire time we're reading that, that's all I could think about. Where I'm like, this is so gay. Like, I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't care about all of the other things that the teachers wanted me to think about. So mm -hmm. those are two. And I thought of another one, Lytton, uh, Rebecca. Mm -hmm. Oh man, yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's a shared favorite uh, between the two of us. Um, you know, Rebecca has. Uh, I would say I, I hate to say that it's because of the villain villainizing of um, Mrs. Danvers is kind of the villain of 
the narrative, but um, there's definitely this like coded thing mm-hmm. between Danvers and Rebecca. And, and I, I think more in the book, you could kind of see that in the exchanges between, uh, well, she doesn't have a name in the book. It's mm-hmm. uh, Mrs. Uh, Hillary De Winter. Thank you. So yeah, <laughs> Rebecca would be another one that I think has yeah. that kind of coded. Yeah, thing. absolutely agree with that. One day, Hillary and I went to Barnes and Noble. And we were looking around at things, and we stumbled across a few queer graphic novels. Oh, I'm so um, excited. <laughs> are there ones that you can recommend? Are there ones that um, is it is it something that you've explored or looked into? Um, either one of you can start. You go, Lynn. Okay, so there's there's of course there's like there's two that I kind of know about. I, w- I won't say that I have like extensive knowledge on graphic novels in the queer space, but um, there's of course um, Alison Bechdel, who is I think definitely like, iconic um, in that space with dykes to watch out for. Um, and that's one that lives on my bookshelf. Um, and then there's another one I came across kind of recently. It's called bitch planet. And that one has been, um, it's just like an, it's an interesting, um, I, I guess this might be one that I would say is kind of like queer adjacent, you know, um, as well. It's not like, cause this has, and this has a lot to do with, um, racial like social justice kinds of um themes as well but i think those those that kind of um narrative always to me has hints of like queer liberation um and uh, in it as well because i think those are so they're so linked the queer the queer you know queer liberation and racial justice are uh, you really can't separate the two because they're so integral to each other but yeah, that's one that I've come across recently, and and of course, like I say, Alison Bechdel is always just hard to hard to pass up. Um, Alison wrote one recently. I'm trying to remember the name. It's it's like um, it's a queer graphic novel about her. It's like a autobiography, I guess you would you would say, and it's about her upbringing, um, especially her her relationship with her father, and like. I think there's, you know, it's, it's fairly, it's, I think it's kind of like a working through of, of trauma, like a queer upbringing. Uh, it's called Fun Home, a family tragic comic. Yes. That's what it's called. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's another one I would say that's just a really, as far as graphic novels go, that's a really, a really good one. Those are the two I know. I wish I knew more, but that's kind of an ex- a place of exploration for me. Hillary? I only know Fun Home. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to say that. I think that's a... Um, pretty I, I don't want to say mainstream but i think it's had a lot of i don't know what to say press i don't know <laughs> yeah exposure yeah it's had a lot yeah. of exposure uh within yeah. the past well, few especially, years especially um with the musical that goes along with it mm-hmm. um yeah yeah fun home is great have you all not you had not that heard of the essential think. dykes to watch out for Mm-mm. no really wow that's really interesting yeah um, Christmas yeah, presents. Yeah, I need to. Yeah. <laughs> I need to <laughs> that's a fun to order something from like about that. Barnes and Noble, and then have them repeat the name back to you when they're like, "Your book is here." And you're like, "What book is that?" <laughs> well, not not a graphic novel, but and I really hate to say the title to this, especially coming from me. So please do not hold this against me. It is the title of the book? Um, but one of the best books that I have read this year um, is Laura Jane Grace's book called Tranny. 
Um, it's mm-hmm. Confessions of Punk Rock's Most Infamous Anarchists. And I loved that book. I flew through it. But just kind of going on that journey with her of exploration and knowing from the time she was a little kid that this was something that she held a lot of shame in and was terrified and then became famous. And then it's like, how do you deal with, you know, coming out when you're in the limelight and you're at the top of your career? But I thought it was really well done. And man, she was just open and honest throughout that whole book. And I really appreciated that. So are there any other um, like biographies that you've read maybe about, you know, people that have come out um, or struggles that they've gone through? That's a great question. Most of the people I read about are dead and never came to terms with that. So <laughs> this is sad, but true. <laughs> um, Litton, what about you? I was, I would say one that I actually came across recently um, that I've really enjoyed uh, or really enjoyed. I just like just finished this book. Um, it's called the title. is something that may shock and discredit you by Daniel uh, Mallory. Ortberg and um, that's a it was a really there were some really resonant pieces about kind of like so the, in in his case um, he, he's talking about his transition um, female to male and like I don't know so many aspects of that of like trying to understand your relationship to there's one part where he's talking about his relationship to his mother and how that how that changes from being his mother's daughter to being his mother's son and like what do you lose in that space and it, it was just it's really uh it's really been it was really interesting and there's so many it's kind of like a it's it's really actually kind of a funny book but there within that there were so many pieces that were like kind of just heartbreaking like that we don't really you know, it's hard to give voice to sometimes, um, like the pain. Uh, you know, I think with Quinn queer literature, we talked about longing and there is a lot of that, mm. but there's also like, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of grief, um, in queer literature. And this is like kind of a side note. I was reading, there's a book called an archive of feelings. Um, and it's about like trauma and queer trauma specifically in, um, like the social kind of within the social discourse. And so it's kind of interesting to think about that, you know, relating to like literature, for instance, in this case, but, but yeah, that was one that I came across recently that I think has, um, is a new, is it one of the more recent like autobiographies I've read that had something to do with like coming out and specifically in this case, trans identities. Would you, uh, I know you have read this because you recommended it to me. Um, would you consider in the dream house, like auto, I mean, it's a memoir. Yeah. I was actually, I have that right next to me. I was just thinking like uh-huh. about that as well. Cause yeah, I I'm so agree. glad you recommended that to me. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you read yeah. it. It makes me so happy. Yeah. That's such a great book. <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, you should, Go you ahead. should do that, Hillary. No, you're, you're better at explaining <laughs> this. You, you convinced <laughs> me to read it. So you should explain it. <laughs> Okay, well, In the Dream House is a, I think what's, so, <laughs> what's, what's really interesting about In the Dream House is it's, it's queer lit, but it's also, it, it's a memoir, as Hillary says, and it's really about, like, it, it gives voice to, I think, an aspect of queerness that we don't really see as often. It's, it's something that's kind of 
um, not spoken about, especially in public spaces as much. We, you know, where we sometimes see like queer relationships is like this entirely different thing, like some other animal entirely. You know, and to some degree, I suppose that's true, but there are still like universalities. And one of them is that there are unhealthy relationships in queer spaces, just like there are in in cis spaces. And so this is a lot about a queer relationship, like a a traumatic and abusive queer like relationship. And and it has it has so much to do with like what not only are they dealing with their their particular dynamic, but they're also dealing with like cultural representations of queerness and psychological abuse. And like, what does it mean then to have to dissect like all these specific mechanisms within their relationship and within the cult, their culture and like society at large. And I mean, of course, you know, Carmen Maria Machado just does like the best job. I think she's just such a brilliant author, a really good I mean, her writing is amazing. Um, and it's kind it's of structured in a very different way. Yeah. I was going to, yeah, please talk about that. Well, it's just, the chapters are, uh, broken down into different, um, it's a different way to explore the, the breakdown of the relationship essentially. Mm. And I will say I've never, uh, I can't say I never, um, <laughs> this is a very volatile person that, uh, is in this particular um, book, but I, I just, I, I hadn't read a memoir that was structured um, or written in, in that kind of way, uh, like the haunted house. And mm-hmm. um, I don't want to give away too much. Cause I, I do really think people should just go read it for, for the, it is truly art. I'll mm. say that um, just the way that it was written. So I'm intrigued. Yeah. I, yes. <laughs> yeah. it, and it has such a cool cover. Like once Lytton told me about it, I was like, okay, let's see what they're talking about here. And then I, mm. <laughs> that's not how I take your suggestions. I'm just being mean. Um, and then I was like, okay, they might know what they're talking about. This is such a cool, it's a cool looking book. If you like saw it on a, a shelf, you'd want to pick it up. Yeah. It, it, it's just, it's just a great, um, Great exploration. And I think uh, what it, it really made me feel more than anything is that I think in the early stages of coming out and um, navigating relationships, once you actually get to that point of saying, OK, I'm ready to try to have a relationship with someone, there's like a certain amount that you feel that you have to prove that your relationship can succeed, like mm-hmm. uh, especially if you've been raised to believe that you know, it's wrong and you won't be blessed or, you know, whatever narrative you've heard over and over, um, that there's like this certain protective nature that you have that you're like, I will be damned if this relationship doesn't survive. And because of that, I think we often get in really bad Mm. relationships and stay in them. Mm. And so I, I just, I really related with this book, um, because, we are still human and you can still have bad relationships even though you're in a queer relationship. both of you um you know there's been a lot of talk this year about you know like we were saying um people of color and you know we're bringing a lot of things to the forefront and you know one thing that a lot of people will say is you know i'm not going to tell you how to talk to people in our community you should 
do some of the work yourself. So as a straight cisgender person, are there books that I can read that would maybe help me to have better communication with people in the community, the correct terms, the correct way to talk to people? Are there any recommendations as far as that goes? What do you have, Lytton? Well, one that really stands out to me is Alok, Alok Vidmenen. They are doing, so first of all, they've written a couple of books. And the wonderful thing about um, their books is that they're really, they're, they're short, little, like, I would, they're like kind of like a grand zine, essentially. But they're, and, it, and that I think is helpful, especially for cis folks who maybe, because there are, there, are, there are queer allies and then there are people who are like, haven't quite maybe got to the point of allyship. And so they are, I think they're just, they're decent people who just want, don't really know much about it and kind mm-hmm. of see this as like an other issue. You know, like it's not really something that's right. So it's nice that in this case, because it's feeling easy to read and it's quick and it doesn't really, so they don't have to make this grand commitment to it, right? Like they can kind of get a sense of things and then, and they can, they can pop out. Cause I think that's, that's the journey. But, um, yeah, Alok does just really incredible work. And also Alok has um, their social media is a really good. I would say that actually it's one of the best sources, I think, for a lot of people is seeing like I, I realize we're talking about books, but I think social media is a really good space for learning. Oh. Um, and, and again, like quick bites that are easy to digest and then to come back to like as if something hits you kind of funny, you're not sure what to do with that. And it makes you feel uncomfortable or it makes you feel weird, um, like as a cis person then it's it's nice to be able to have something fast and then you can kind of duck out and you can come back when you feel ready to like explore that further but a look also has several books one is called beyond the gender binary that is um mm. a really good book that i think i, I recommend it to folks a lot because it's it's super helpful and it, it lays out like a quick understanding of the gender binary um, which has an incredibly racist um background and then it also talks a lot about um like it has these quick little um, arguments, I guess you could say there, because especially for, for trans and non-binary people, I think in particular get these a lot more than maybe just queer folks, like maybe gay or lesbian people. But, uh, it's this like, I don't know, argument about your existence and whether you, (laughs) I don't know whether you should exist or not. And he does a, or they do a really great job of like understanding and, and, um, giving like just a way to understand the argument and also like, how do you rebut them? You know, what is, what is the, you know, counter kind of like argument, but there's, there's, there's also like one called, um, imaginary, there's like imaginary borders. There's the nuclear conscience. Um, this is what I know about art. There's, there's one called sissy, which is a coming of age, like gender story by, um, Jacob Tobia. And I, I think there's just like, those are good things they are also just like inf- informative about queer experience. I would say the main thing is really just read more about queer people. Like that's probably the best education. I agree. Uh, I, I, first of all, I default to Lytton for almost everything that I need to read in terms of um, educating myself. So oftentimes I will share Lytton's posts on Instagram because I'm like, man, they just know. They just know what they're talking about. Um, uh, but I also agree that if you have a, an open mind and a, 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 you are situated to, uh, you know, want to better understand, I, I see no problem with cracking open any of the novels that we've mentioned in this podcast. Um, I, one of the things I struggle the most with is asking the people around me to read queer literature or to watch queer films because I think that there's just something, you know, inside of me that I obviously haven't dealt with yet, but that I want so badly for people to see 
you know, how I feel or maybe um, myself represented in in a book or in a movie. And I, I think that I, I think that people can't be bothered. And so I don't want to ask them. So if you truly are in a space, um, obviously, just reading queer literature, novels written by um, queer individuals, or uh, maybe some of those queer adjacent uh, books that we mentioned, that that would be my take on that. Well, I promise you, I will watch Carol in the next two weeks. <laughs> Just for you. <laughs> Thank you. Wait, have you never seen Carol? Before? I have not. No. Oh wow. I know. Okay. And actually, You're my husband, I told him um, not long ago uh, that I wanted to watch it, and he was like, "Well, let's watch it." He's a movie buff, and he's he'll watch anything. Not that it's like because of that, but um, he's also an, he's ally. an ally. And and I think that he's he's like me. I think it's kind of like the more you know, you know. It's like we just. <laughs> want to learn um because we we want to be good allies and i don't ever want to be offensive towards anyone you know i've had to to do the walk of shame before where i've said oh my gosh i asked you a question and that i know that was totally inappropriate um but i know that you know and i don't want to make that mistake again and you know i would rather eat some crow about it than let it linger in the air so I that's do think we're all doing though. So that's, a, I think that's the main thing is like, are you interested in learning? You know, we're yeah. all and making mistakes. All of us. Yeah. Exactly. Totally. And, and yeah. we're going to make mistakes. All of us are going to make mistakes. And, and, and it's, it's, you know, you know, Hillary saying, you know, she came out 10 years ago and just the advancements we've made in those 10 years, how, I mean, it's, really you know thinking about drag race alone that it's like part of our <laughs> pop culture now yeah. and it's rupaul's on a uh, on a commercial right now for old navy and i'm sure mm-hmm. my mom when my mom says oh look at that rupaul you know it's like what is happening <laughs> um but it's such a great thing um but i do think that we all have room to grow and things change the lexicon changes people change mm-hmm all the time and I think that as long as we're fl- all of us are fluid as far as our dialect goes and just being respectful I mean that's really what it's all about is respecting each other absolutely yeah um, yeah so I hope that answers your question totally. I don't know I, I truly would default to Lytton though on resources absolutely <laughs> yeah Is there anything else, Hillary, that we need to talk about? I don't think so, except Brandy Carlisle does have an autobiography coming out in April, I'm just saying. Yes. That's important to know. It is. It's very important to know. Um, <laughs> just a shameless plug there. That'll be one that I'm reading. Peace out. <laughs> well, thank you both for being here, Hillary, as always. But Lytton, thank you for joining us and for you know the great recommendations i have a huge list of books that i'm going to read now so i really appreciate it thank you for being here thank you thanks for having me check me out is recorded in the fm90 and panhandle pbs studios on the washington street campus of amarillo college the show is produced by hillary halsey and me amy hart Big thank yous to Colin Lutz, Jake Day for being our editor, Stevie Brashears for designing our logo, and the Mag7 for providing music. 
check us out on Facebook. And make sure you hit subscribe wherever you may be listening.